I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. DEI's effect on society is wrapped up in just one video. Nikki Haley makes the mistake that every team GOP wannabe seems to be making, thinking they need pop culture cred to beat Donald Trump. And then what if I told you the <clears throat> Green Fund was actually just a Democratic grift all along? Would you believe me? Oh, and then, of course, we're continuing our look at the Federalist Papers with Federalist number two under the microscope today. I'm Andrew Coppins, and of course, this is Critical Thinking. Happy Monday to you all. I hope you all had a great weekend, a footballless weekend for the last time. And yes, I know the <clears throat> Pro Bowl was played in air quotes yesterday, but uh, I don't know if you can call that football. Um, anyway, I hope you all had a really good weekend. I know that I did, despite my Badgers uh, absolutely choking at home against Purdue. They had every opportunity to win that game against the number two team in the country, choked it away. They'll get an opportunity at Mackey Arena in the final game of the season. We'll see where the Big Ten Conference title race is shaking out at that point in time, but I have a feeling it's going to matter quite a bit to the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee. All right, that being said, we have a lot to get to on today's program. And, uh, of course, that includes Federalist number 2, and we'll talk about all of those things. But before we go there, I think it's going to be really important for us to talk about um, one of the biggest mistakes that people seem to want to make in the Team GOP sphere is that they've got to have celeb names, they've got to have street cred or or celebrity cred or pop culture references to win. To win whom would be the question. Now, is it true that Donald Trump tapped into pop culture and Donald Trump had pop culture cred, if you will, when he ran in 2016? Absolutely, that's true. But he had it outside of politics. Memo to all Republicans 
you are never going to be cast in a positive light by mainstream media, by pop culture, by almost anything that is hip or cool in the moment. Why? Because those movements or cultures or whatever you want to call them are antithetical to your way of life. That's just the reality in front of us. So I hope you understand that. But I want to show you the example that happened over the weekend because Nikki Haley decided to go on Saturday Night Live and um, despite the what I thought was actually kind of funny, uh, Donald Trump play Nikki Haley? Just no. Okay, our next question comes from someone who describes herself as a concerned South Carolina voter. Yes, hello. <laughs> my question is, why won't you debate Nikki Haley? Oh, my God, it's her, the woman who was in charge of security on January 6th. It's Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> For the 100th time, that is not Nancy Pelosi. It is Nikki Haley. Are you doing okay, Donald? You might need a mental competency test. You know what I did? I took the test and I aced it, okay? Perfect score. They said I'm 100% mental. And, you know, I'm competent because I'm a man. That's why a woman should never run our economy. Women are terrible with money. In fact, a woman I know recently asked me for $83.3 million. <laughs> and you've spent $50 million in your own legal fees. Do you need to borrow some money? Oh, Nikki, don't do this, Nikki. <laughs> Nikki Tiki Tommy. <laughs> Nikki, don't lose that number. Nikki Haley, Joel Osment. Nikki Haley, Joel Osment, we call her. Six cents, remember that one? I see dead people. <laughs> yeah, that's what voters will say if they see you and Joe on the ballot. Oh, that, yeah, that's not very nice, Nikki. It's not nice. And I'm always very nice to you, except when I'm implying you weren't born in this country. Even though you're from South Carolina, and now I'm going to beat you in your state. And did you win your home state in the last election? I won Staten Island. <laughs> and the parts of Long Island where the fist fights happen, where they, where they get out of the cars if you honk at them. I love my world star whites. All right, well, that is a new one on me. Okay, we have time for one more question, and it's actually for Ambassador Haley. What would you say was the main cause of the Civil War? Um, and do you think it starts with an S and ends with a lavery? <laughs> yep, I probably should have said that the first time. And live from New York, it's Saturday night. Uh, what did you get out of that? She looked robotic. She looked just uncomfortable. Like, none of that was entertaining, fun. In fact, it made her look like a moron. That, that That is not a win for you in any way, shape, or form. The only person who got a win there was the person who was impersonating Donald Trump, and even then I think it was a half-assed impersonation. Uh, that being said, though, um, there are ways in which you could do this or attempt to do this. This ain't one of them. F like, take a page out of Ben Shapiro. Find something that you may be good at or team up with somebody who has some credibility and do something that's not robotic and insanely 
awkward for yourself. Find something that you like in pop culture and use it. R&D it. Rip off. Duplicate. Something you like that you're good at. I, I don't know what else to, to say on that. Now, up top I had also mentioned there's one other thing we've got to talk about here, and this is a little bit on the old side, but... You want to know what DEI looks like and its implications for our society really are? You want to know? You, you ought to know. Sorry, that just popped into my head, but um, it happened at an NBA game recently. And I'm just going to play the video because I'm absolutely gobsmacked at what takes place here, as if this is okay in any way, shape, or form. took place at a Memphis Grizzlies game, by the way, for those who are wondering uh, what team that was or where this was taking place. But just what? That's DEI, folks, in action in our culture. It is insulting to both individuals involved in this contest Insulting to the white person, uh, insulting to the audience, and the audience is catching on as this goes on, like, wait a freaking minute. I just... The white person gets all of the Latin, uh, technical, really big jargon words, right? The medical term terminology. Well... The black person who, according to this wonderful group of people, uh, can't be smart enough to also get those terms, has to be given the stress fracture, x-ray, all of those types of words. While we get vascular necrosis, uh, what? So we not only do you assume the level of competency or incompetency of both individuals here. One person must be set up to be failed and the other person must be set up to be successful, right? And it's going to be the white person that must be, you know, felt to made or made to feel, I should say, stupid. While the black individual is uplifted 
at the white person's expense, of course, because, well, reparations, right? It's a micro-reparation if we want to use the terminology of DEI, right? We got microaggression. Well, here's a micro-reparation for you. Uplift and make to be less than. The reaction of the crowd is hilarious. The reaction of the, the white individual go, ah, I see what's going on here. I just, I'm not playing your games, man. I'm just, that that would be my, so I, after the first, you know, big medical Latin term versus stress fracture, and they come back to me with vascular necrosis, Um, I'm speaking right into the mic and I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm not playing your racist game and walking off. I, I no. Mic drop. See you later. Peace out. And I am making a big deal out of this. If I were that individual. Because I'm not down to clown. Now, in the NBA circles, maybe that white person is down to clown because, well, uh, it is an absolutely racist organization. Just how? Just Just how? How does this even happen? Now, speaking of how does does this even happen, um, we have a headline from Just the News. <clears throat> the shortlist for $27 billion of the Green Fund handouts rife with former Obama-Biden staff and Democratic ties. Now, the Inflation Reduction Act, <clears throat> which didn't reduce inflation, set aside $27 billion of our taxpayer money to make grants to organizations that, <clears throat> quote-unquote, work to reduce greenhouse gases, right? Well, Just the News has taken a look at it, and wouldn't you know, three out of the five leading contenders for those handouts are heavily staffed with former Clinton, Obama, and Biden officials and others with deep connections to pro-democratic organizations such as the AFL-CIO and the American Federation of Teachers, which I... This is about greenhouse gases. What the hell is the American Federation of Teachers doing? Well, according to the article, <clears throat> the Coalition for Green Capital, Power Fund Communities, and Climate United are three of the five consortiums that are reportedly the most serious contenders to receive billions in the National Clean Investment Fund, the NCIF, uh, grants from the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, which is part of the entire... Um, Inflation Reduction Act, right? $27 billion EPA program. The groups are variously composed of eco-activist organizations and smaller green banks with political connections, right? The list of people DCNF has discovered to be involved in the organizations seeking billions of funds from just this portion of G, uh, GGRF because, you know, everything in our wonderful wonderful government has to be an acronym is a veritable who's who of insiders connected to both the current administration and the previous administration in which the president served. <coughs> Excuse me. Michael Chamberlain, executive director of protect the public's trust, a government watchdog organization said the following. This is one of the largest programs in the history of the EPA and is looking like one of the most egregious examples of the revolving door since the invention of doors. 
Now, you might be asking yourself, what the hell's a green bank, first of all, right? Well, it is an institution, according to Just the News, that provides financing options specifically for climate-related investments. They can be public, quasi-public, or nonprofit companies leveraging public and private money to back projects that are principally focused on reducing greenhouse gas emissions, according to the EPA. Now, in addition to the Coalition for Green Capital, Power Forward Communities, and Climate United, the reported shortlist also includes Equity and the Justice Climate Fund. Uh, the three reported finalists highlighted in the report share institutional connections with environmentalist groups and labor unions that overwhelmingly support President Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. Now, the EPA asked prospective applicants to demonstrate that they have selected a list of projects ready to receive funding in order to take advantage of the funds quickly. And the agency also said, quote, senior agency officials will review the applications. Now, in November of 2022, several months after the investment, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act became law, the agency hosted a meeting attended by several politically connected environmentalist groups and think tanks to provide early feedback and ask clarifying questions which is, according to Chamberlain, highly irregular in a September interview with DCNF. Quote, from most angles, this program, along with most of the green energy programs from the Inflation Reduction Act, appears tailor-made to avoid oversight of waste, fraud, and abuse and to dole out taxpayer funds to environmentalists' special interests, many of whom have deep ties to the Biden administration. Therefore, it's not surprising at all to see those who are in line to receive this $14 billion have strong connections to many of the same interests who push, uh, pushed for the legislation and crafted. That's right. This is the grift, folks. They, want, they knew what they were going to be doing here. Why? Because they're the ones, and this is why when we talk about the grift going on and why we last week talked about the need to absolutely make sure that government is not allowed to, or I should say our legislators are not allowed in Congress to make laws with blank pages, blank paragraphs, or we're ceding our constitutional duty to the EPA, unelected bureaucrats at the EPA or at the FBI or at this organization or that organization or, or whatever bureaucracy, they just literally say, you're the experts. Getting rid of the expert class is important because, again, it's not surprising at all to see those who are in line receive this $14 billion having strong connections to many of the same interests and who pushed for this legislation and crafted the program. So, they line up on the backside and on the front side. They craft the legislation. They induce the legislation to their favor. Then they craft the programs within the EPA because they also populate the positions of power because of <clears throat> quote unquote expertise, right? Well, you might ask yourself, what's the coalition for green capital? Uh, oh, gee, I don't know. How about this one? It's a nonprofit consortium of green banks that has applied for nearly $12 billion of the NCIF program, aims to facilitate the expansion of green banks, according to its website. The 
Coalition for Green Capital's board of directors, wait for this, includes numerous individuals that formerly worked for Democratic administrations or currently work for environmentalist organizations and labor unions. It includes David Hayes, a senior fellow for the Natural Resource Defense Council, Cecilia Martinez, the Bezos Earth Fund's Chief of Environmental and Climate Justice, and Julie Green Collier, Chief of Staff for the AFL-CIO. Both the AFL-CIO and the NRDC's Political Action Committee have already endorsed Biden's re-election bid, of course. But before taking a job with the environmental organization and a seat on the G, uh, CGC's board, Martinez was the senior director for, quote, environmental justice for the White House Council on Environmental Quality for the Biden administration. Also previously served as a member of Obama's EPA National Advisory Committee. So <clears throat> one of the key players trying for 12 of the $14 billion. Literally has a hand or had a hand in crafting, publishing, and putting together, knowing what buttons to push, whom to push, where to push with the EPA. This is very simple. Nabra, not going to happen. This is nepotism, and this is grift. This is graft. Grift, whatever you want to term it as. This is a thousand percent that. Enriching yourself vis-a-vis the things that you, this would be, for instance, let's say you owned a business, okay? This is akin to insider trading is what this is. This is akin to Bernie Madoffing the American public. That's what this is. Um, Hayes, that guy, right? David Hayes. Well, he just happened to, wait for this, serve as a climate advisor to Joe Biden. And before that, the deputy uh, secretary of the Department of the Interior for the Clinton and Obama administrations. This person, if you don't know your inside baseball, is a consummate insider. He has shuffled between government and then NGOs, er, special interests, influencing government his entire adult life. The organization that he lands on the board of ends up seeking $10, $12 billion from this fund. How about Reed Hunt, the founder of the CGC? Well, he formerly worked in the Clinton administration as the chairman of the Federal Communications Commission and a close ally to Al freaking Gore. And the CGC receives funding from... Well, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, the Climate Works Foundation, and the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation, all super left wing. The CGC also partners with several major environmentalist organizations, including the NRDC, the Environmental Defense Fund, and the Rocky Mountain Institute, an organization that's, wait for this, partnered with the Chinese government's Economic Planning Committee to produce, well, They did, I think, a 2016 report calling for the Chinese citizens to electrify their appliances, according to the CGC's website. (sighs) 
How about the Power Forward Communities Group? Well, it's a coalition consisting of rewiring America, the Enterprise Community Partners, the Local Initiative Support Corporation, the United Way, and Habitat for Humanity. Coalition is applying for $9.5 billion of funds. Also, Rewiring America is an environmental organization pushing for full-scale societal mobilization to ditch fossil fuels, reshaping the American economy to rely on green energy only. LISC, established with funding from the Ford Foundation, deploys its funds to back community-level projects that advance left-of-center policy outcomes. PFC says it will use EPA funding to support the replacement of gas-powered appliances with more efficient and inexpensive alternatives, boost solar and battery storage deployment, and build out electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Now, I'm going to stop there with this story because that's actually a good investment, but I don't think that is on the public to do this. And, And hear me out on this. When we had the absolutely massive wind chill below zero, like 20, 30, 40 below zero wind chill issues of a few weeks ago here in Chicago, one of the biggest stories was, were, well, well, it was, I should say, not were, was the story of the EV charging issues. So if you owned a Tesla, for example, um, guess what? It was so cold, your charge wasn't going to work. Meaning, you couldn't charge your vehicle if it went below a certain level. So if you had a hybrid, you were okay. But if you were fully EV, y'all were screwed. Why? Because the technology isn't fully there. That's point one. Number two, we also do not have the infrastructure available to be able to broadly use this technology. But that infrastructure can come vis-a-vis private investment. It has always been the driver of change. And I am not suggesting that we shouldn't make changes because prior to, right, prior to the invention of the combustible engine, prior to all of these things, right, was gas a big deal? No. Was gasoline a big deal? No. Was oil a massive deal? Kind of, sort of, yeah, but in a different way. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
the point is that we are always changing as a society. So just simply saying that fossil fuels are the only way is ridiculous. We don't know what's coming. In fact, we talked about uh, fission, right? And the fact that we were able to, for the first time, replicate that last year. That's right. The power of the sun. We were able to harness that energy and that production of energy for the first time. So 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we have no idea how that could scale. And if it does scale, it is an absolutely renewable source of energy. And what does that do for cars, for planes, trains, you know, planes, trains, automobiles? What what does that do for our society? The earth metals that it takes for solar, for the batteries, for electric vehicles, to power electric grids and this, that, and everything in between is unsustainable. It is bad for our environment, and it is not scalable on a global scale. It is just not. We have to have a mixture. Now, if we were able to, I don't know, five years from now, figure out how fission uh, could actually be harnessed and put into the production of power for vehicles and everything else, it would change everything. But we're not there. We never will be there. And this is a grift. Now, PFC lists several pro-democratic labor unions as its partners, including the American Federation of Teachers, the AFL-CIO, the International Association of Sheet Metal, Air, Rail, and Transportation Workers. Shock! And its board of directors includes, well, Sean Donovan, the board's chairman, served as Secretary of Housing and Urban Development and as the director of OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, uh, budget, budget, budget for Obama. The board's two vice chairs, also Obama administration alums, Phyllis Caldwell, uh, worked in the Obama Treasury Department, and Ari Matsuyak, Matusak, whatever, is the founder and CEO of Rewiring America, served as the special assistant to Obama, and as the administration's director of private sector engagement. Do you get it now? Do you understand what you're up against here? The absolute grift that you are up against. I don't know. Don't know. Now, maybe just maybe this is the further proof you need to say no to their efforts, no to spending $27 billion of taxpayer money just to enrich the nepotism of these individuals. And how about a further no to exploring things that will actually harm the earth and human beings because the absolute insanity that is required to mine and find and produce these rare earth metals that are massively needed for the products that produce the energy, right? The electricity costs human lives at a massive scale. They don't want to deal with that, but also it's about reducing the po- Oh, oops, did I say that out loud? Because I meant to. All right, so all of that out of the way, folks, we are talking about the Federalist 
Papers. Papers up next if I could talk today. But before we get into that, it's a good time to mention now is a great time to get yourself a cup of coffee brand coffee.com. Small batch roasted and ground up if you want it or whole bean if you want it but focused on producing high-quality coffee in small batches delivered directly to you. And that's it. They don't have a political agenda. They don't care about your politics, their politics, or anything in between. They just focus on really good coffee, really good tea, really good hot chocolate, and other accoutrements. But a good Valentine's Day little uh, stocking stuffer or whatever you want to call it would be a good bag of coffee brand coffee. May I recommend the bourbon flavor? Just me. It is a really good flavor of their coffee. So go to coffeebrandcoffee.com, enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout for 10% off of your purchase today. Again, that is coffeebrandcoffee.com. Enter the promo code CRITICALTHINKER at checkout. Okay, so we have a lot to get into, and I have debated, do I read the entire essay because some of them are longer than others? And... I think we're going to read all of it because I think it is important to not do what most people are doing on Twitter, picking and choosing and, and uh, splicing pieces that really don't mean what they think they mean because there's, there's actually more to the essay um, and you're taking it out of context. So let's not do that. So today we're going to read through the Federalist Papers together. And uh, the first Federalist, or the first part of Federalist number two goes like this. To the people of the state of New York, and before we get any further, um, the title of this section of Federalist Papers is Concerning Dangers from Foreign Force and Influence. So what do you think is coming over the next few essays? Well, they're going to deal with What about foreign invasion? What about uh, the influence of foreign, uh, you know, affairs? And how do we handle that if we are 13 separate states, if you are 13 separate uh, sovereign entities versus a nation? And that's really what they're going to deal with. This one written by John Jay, I believe, I think he wrote the least amount of the Federalist Papers, by the well, by the well, by the way. And then this one published October 31st of 1787. So before I get into actually reading this to you, um, I will say this. When you do read this one, you can tell that there are two different writers between Hamilton and Jay. Jay's style, a little more subtle, if you will. But man, does he love to harp on details. And what should have been obvious to the people at the time that he was writing this for. So what is Federalist number two really all about? Well, it's kind of summed up in the first couple of paragraphs here. So let's start reading. To the people of the state of New York, when the people of America reflect that they are now called upon to decide a question, which in its consequences must must prove one of the most important that ever engaged their attention, the propriety of their taking a very comprehensive as well as a very serious view of it will be evident. Now, we continue on. Nothing is more certain than the indispensable necessity of government, and it's equally undeniable 
that whenever and however it is instituted, the people must cede to it some of their natural rights in order to vest it with requisite powers. It is well worthy of consideration, therefore, whether it would conduce more to the interest of the people of America that they should, to all general purposes, be one nation under one federal government, or that they should divide themselves into separate confederacies and give to the head of each the same kind of powers which they are advised to place in one national government. So I want to stop right there because I think this is a good uh, point to talk about. So the first couple of paragraphs, right? The seriousness of the issue at foot the Constitution versus Confederacy. And secondly, all about laying the foundation that some form of government is necessary and that all government has to be granted sufficient power to administer laws and regulate conflict. Again, I find this couple or these first couple of paragraphs, and then we're going to get more into this theme in the next few, but I find it fascinating Considering where we are today, Texas versus the federal government, a time in which many who are quoting the Federalist Papers all over on X, which you can follow me at The Coppins Show, by the way, do not also forget to download, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff to the podcast, find the show on X, find the show on our Rumble channel, rumble.com backslash critical thinking. But all these people quoting the Federalist Papers, right? are doing so while claiming sovereign rights for the states. The Federalist Papers are literally making the exact opposite opposite argument. Folks, the exact opposite. Jay continues, It has until lately been a received and uncontradicted opinion that the prosperity of the people of America depended on their continuing firmly united and the wishes, prayers, and efforts of our best and wisest citizens have been constantly directed to that object. But politicians now appear who insist that this opinion is erroneous, and that instead of looking for safety and happiness in union, we ought to seek it in a division of the states into distinct confederacies or sovereignties. However extraordinary this new doctrine may appear, it nevertheless has its advocates, and certain characters who were much opposed to it formerly are at present of the number. Whatever may be the arguments or inducements which have wrought this change in the sentiments and declarations of these gentlemen, it certainly would not be wise in the people at large to adopt these new political tenets without being fully convinced that they are founded in truth and sound policy. So in this case, Jay is literally saying, there are people out there who believe in the confederacy of states or the sovereignty of each individual state. So you need to pay attention to them, but you need to adopt something else. He continues, It has often given me pleasure to observe that independent America was not composed of detached and distant territories, but that once that one connected, fertile, widespreading country was the portion of our Western sons of liberty. Providence has in a particular manner blessed it with a variety of soils and productions and watered it with innumerable streams for the delight and accommodations of its inhabitants. 
A succession of navigable waters forms a kind of chain round its borders as if to bind it together, while the most noble rivers in the world, running at convenient distances, present them with highways for the easy communication of friendly aids and to the mutual transportation and exchange of their various commodities. With equal pleasure, I have as often taken notice that Providence has been pleased to give this one connected country to one united people, a people descended from the same ancestors, speaking the same language, professing the same religion, attached to the same principles of government, very similar in their manners and customs, and who, by their joint councils, arms, and efforts, fighting side by side throughout a long and bloody war, have nobly established general liberty and independence. Now, in that case, we also get the next paragraph, which is vitally important. This country and this people seem to have been made for each other, and it appears as if it was the design of providence that an inheritance so proper and convenient for a band of brethren united to each other by the strongest ties should never be split into a number of unsocial, jealous, and alien sovereignties. So, that all being said, folks, I think you get the point that he is making here. At least I hope you do. Because the point that he's really making is that he's dealing with the critique that separate and sovereign states can exist because they have divergent interests. But is that really true? Again, he talks about the promotion of travel, trade, navigable waters, right? Natural geographic ties, not to mention the common tie of the American Revolutionary War. Every one of the 13 colonies fought in that. Now, he also talks about worshiping the same God, despite the myriad of differences in how they would worship, right? They speak the same language. They believe the same principles of government. Now, to that last part, whatever they were, you know, either a loyalist to Great Britain or a patriot, all of them believed in some form of representative government because that's what they came from. That's the tradition of Magna Carta England. They grew up in that tradition, knowing that there should have been some sort of representative form of government. Now, we also see the theme here of sober consideration continuing from Federalist 1 to Federalist 2. And we want to continue going on, saying that similar sentiments have hereto prevailed among all orders and denominations of men among us. To all general purposes, we have uniformly been one people, each individual citizen everywhere enjoying the same national rights, privileges, and protection. As a nation, we have made peace and war. As a nation, we have vanquished our common enemies. As a nation, we have formed alliances and made treaties and entered into various compacts and conventions with foreign states. A strong sense of the value and blessings of union include, uh, induced the people at a very early period to institute a federal government to preserve and perpetuate it. They formed it almost as soon as they had a political existence, 
nay, at a time when their habitations were in flames, when many of their citizens were bleeding, and when the progress of hostility and desolation left little room for those calm and mature inquiries and reflections which must ever precede the formation of a wise and well-balanced government for a free people. It is not to be wondered at that a governmental that a government instituted in times so inauspicious should on experiment be found greatly deficient and inadequate to the purpose it was intended to answer. So this is Jay making the argument against, well, we already have the Articles of Confederacy and that is good enough. He is saying, no, this was a mistake. This was hastily done in action made right on the edge and precipice of war. And that we need sober consideration again. He continues to say that a strong sense of value and blessings of union, uh, excuse me, continues to say that this intelligent people perceived and regretted these deficits, still continuing no less attached to union than enamored of liberty. They observed the danger which immediately threatened the former and more remotely the latter and being persuaded that ample security for both could only be found in a national government more wisely framed, they as, they, as with one voice, convened the late convention at Philadelphia to take that important subject under consideration. Now, this is the Constitutional Convention. That's what Jay is talking about here, because, again, this is the talk of ratification of this, right? But he's also noting the problems that persisted, right? We had the Whiskey Rebellion, Shays Rebellion. We had, we had a number of challenges, not just to the quote-unquote federal government, but also to the sovereignty of states and, and all sorts of things that left the response to be wholly inadequate to dealing with sovereign issues. It continues to say that this convention composed of men who possessed the confidence of the people and many of whom had become highly distinguished by their patriotism, virtue, and wisdom in times which tried the minds and hearts of men undertook the arduous task in the mild season of peace with minds unoccupied by other subjects. They passed many months in cool, uninterrupted, and daily consultation. And finally, without having been awed by power or influenced by any passions except love for their country, they presented and recommended to the people the plan produced by their joint and very unanimous councils. I, I think that's a very poignant uh, situation here. I really do. All right, so we are getting a little bit further on towards the end here, but this is an absolutely important paragraph to highlight here. So, Jay continues saying, Admit, for so is the fact that this plan is only recommended, not imposed. Yet, let it be remembered that this is neither recommended to blind approbation nor to blind reprobation, but to the sedate and candid consideration which the magnitude and importance of the subject demand, and which it certainly ought to receive. But this, as was remarked in the foregoing number of this paper, is more to be wished than expected, that it may be so considered and examined. Experience on a former occasion teaches us not to be too sanguine in such hopes. It is not yet forgotten that well-grounded apprehensions of imminent danger induced the people of America to form the memorable Congress of 1774. 
That body recommended certain measures to their constituents, and the event proved their wisdom. Yet it is fresh in our memories how soon the press began to team with pamphlets and weekly papers against those very measures. Not only many of the officers of government who obeyed the dictates of personal interest, but others from a mistaken estimate of consequences or to the undue influence of former attachments or whose ambition aimed at objects which did not correspond with the public good were indefatigable in their efforts to persuade the people to reject the advice of that patriotic Congress. Now, folks, there's a lot of language in here, but there's one more sentence. Many, indeed, were deceived and deluded, but the great majority of the people reasoned and decided judiciously, and happy they are in reflecting they did so. So that's that's where we're at. He is literally saying that we are recommending, we are not inducing you, we're not trying to force this upon you. Force versus choice is a theme that you're going to see almost all of the Federalist Papers deal with because it was a very important thing at the time that the people got to select this government, whatever that government was going to actually be. The recommendation of the um, the Congressional Congress, if you will, right? That's what this was all about. They continue on saying, Jay... Um, they considered that the Congress was composed of many wise and experienced men, that being convened from different parts of the country, they brought with them and communicated to each other a variety of useful information, that in the course of time they passed together in inquiring into and discussing the true interests of their country, they must have acquired very accurate knowledge on that head, that they were individually interested in the public liberty and prosperity, and therefore that it was not less their in inclination than their duty to recommend only such measures as, after the most mature deliberation, they really thought prudent and advisable. These and similar considerations then induced the people to rely greatly on the judgment and integrity of the Congress, and they took their advice, notwithstanding the various arts and endeavors used to deter them from it. But if the people at large had reasoned, confide in the men that, excuse me, but if the people at large had reason to confide in the men of that Congress, few of whom had been fully tried or generally known, still greater reason have they now to respect the judgment and advice of the convention. For it is well known that some of the most distinguished members of that Congress, who have been since tried and justly approved for patriotism and abilities, and who have grown old in acquiring political information, were also members of this convention and carried into their acclimated knowledge and experience. Now, obviously, this is Jay playing to, hey, uh, we're the experts, and um, question about just how, um, if you're an expert, does that make you right? He's saying it does. He's saying we're recommending this because we know what the hell we're talking about. I find that to be problematic, given what we know later on about expertise, but, but in the matters of politics and trade and knowledge of the 13 colonies, he actually has a point. And what do I mean by this? The point is that general knowledge of Virginia versus 
New Hampshire or Rhode Island or Delaware versus South Carolina, the general population has no such knowledge. So it is important for them to have that knowledge, to understand this. I will grant him that. But then we come to what I think is the most important of all of this. He says at the very end here, it is worthy of remark that not only the first, but every succeeding Congress, as well as the late convention, have invariably joined with the people in thinking that the prosperity of America depended on its union. To preserve and perpetuate it was the greatest object of the people in forming that convention. And it is also the great object of the plan which the convention has advised them to adopt. With what pro propriety, therefore, or for what good purposes are attempts at this particular period made by some men to depreciate the importance of the Union? Or why is it suggested that three or four confederacies would be better than one? I am persuaded in my own mind that the people have always thought right on this subject, and that their universal and uniform attachment to the cause of the Union rests on great and weighty reasons, which I shall endeavor to develop and explain in some ensuing papers. They who promote the idea of substituting a number of distinct confederacies in the room of the plan of the convention seem clearly to foresee that the rejection of it would put the countenance of the Union in the utmost jeopardy. That certainly would be the case, and I sincerely wish that it may be as clearly foreseen by every good citizen that whenever the dissolution of the Union arrives, America will have reason to exclaim, in the words of a poet, Farewell, a long farewell to all my greatness. Publius. So in this last paragraph, we get the real argument here, right? Is that the people who thought of America as America, the people who literally fought the Revolutionary War, didn't do so at the behest of, yes, separate, but also together, E pluribus unum, right? Out of many, one. That's the point of that, is that they knew a universal truth, is that each one of these separate could not overcome the power that was the British Empire at the time. They couldn't repel France or Belgium, the Netherlands, Spanish influence at the time either, lest you forget about what's really going on in the world of conquest and empire. They knew that in order to survive, nay, thrive going forward, there had to be a union, that a political union of some sort, whatever that might have actually come about to be, was vastly important. That's right, a union was what they wanted. They came together in unity to fight. They came together in unity for prosperity. That's really the argument that's being made here by Jay is that, well, we didn't fight this war so that we can go to Rhode Island and just be Rhode Island or New York to just be New York. Even though New York was a powerhouse, not as much so as Massachusetts, right? Or Virginia, but in the same ilk, and would they have been okay to survive on their own? I don't know. But that they were better together than separate, 
right? That if it weren't for the maneuvers and movements and, and all of the people of all of the lands coming together to fight that revolutionary war, to literally bleed, die, and fight for America, there would be no America. It's a, it's a compelling argument for the Constitution is that Confederacy has proven weakness and that there needs to be unity of money, unity in defense. That's really where this is going. So tomorrow we'll pick up with Federalist number three. We'll talk about some truth or fiction as well. But until then, folks, please be smart, be safe, be kind. Make sure you eat all of your meals. And as always, Matthew 547. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.